those of you who don't know me, my name is Maddie. I get to be one of the pastors here at Epiphany Station. Um, before we jump into our conversation today, there's a couple of things that I want to let you know that I hope if you are new to Epiphany, it'll make you maybe feel more welcome, more comfortable. Uh, the first is that kind of when it comes to um, giving and offering, and anyone wants to do anything towards the mission and supporting it financially at Epiphany Station, we don't pass a plate here. Instead, what we desire to do is promote self-motivated, God-motivated giving. And so you'll see red boxes scattered throughout the facility. And in this room, there is a, a tablet with a card reader, and there's always opportunities to give online. But you can do that if you desire to. And also, if you want to communicate anything to us or to the leadership team here, anything about your, your spiritual journey or maybe some feedback, anything like that, that's why we've created these, our connection cards. You can find these wherever there's a red box Grab one, jot your name, jot down what you want to talk about, and we'll follow up in the week to come. Now, if you were here with us over the last couple of months, you know that we've been walking through some kind of highly energetic, highly impactful, highly strategic teachings about money, like for seven weeks, culminating in last week's extravaganza. And what we get to do, what I want to do today, is kind of take things down a notch and just do something very different and have a different kind of conversation. Because what I want us to do today is I want us to look at one of the pieces, one of the elements of a relationship with God that is so essential, so important when it comes to loving God and loving people, that we sometimes just ignore it. And so we're going to talk about something quite obscure and see how it relates to our current day relationship with our God. We're going to talk about a guy, a guy that you've probably never heard of before, a guy whose name is written like that. We're going to talk about this guy who comes from a place that you might never have heard of and you probably never ever will visit. We're going to talk about a guy who was from a place and a moment in his life that happened in 853 BC. That's like 2,800 years ago. The guy's name is Naaman. And Naaman was a big deal. Naaman was an important person. And we see, as we're going to look into his account, into his story, just how and why he was so important. But there's something about Naaman, his life, and his story that is important for us to see, to read, to understand, and to know what it says about our relationship and how we relate to our God. So I'm going to walk through a rather large chunk of the Bible today. And so everything that we read is going to be on the screen behind me. Otherwise, pull out your Bible, grab your Bible app. And if you don't have a Bible that you understand, we actually have a chunk of them. They're out on the welcome station. We would love you to take one with you today as a gift just for being here with us today. So we're going to be in 2 Kings, which as you can tell by my Bible is kind of a long, long way back in God's story with mankind. And in 2 Kings chapter 5, we find the story that we're interested in today. It says, starting in verse 1, that the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of the leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl had said, the young girl from Israel had said, and go visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. Look, I'll even send a letter of introduction for you, a recommendation to the king of Israel. And so Naaman started out carrying as gifts 
750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. And we did the math on that current day value, about 3.8 million. Some pretty nice threads. And the letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, this man sends me a leper to heal. Am I God that I can give life and take it away? I can see he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me. And he will learn that there's a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went, he with his horses and chariots and all his entourage, and he waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River that's just down the way. And your skin will be restored and you'll be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman, Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come and meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. And the rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the Farper, better than any of the rivers of Israel. Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and he went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman calmed down, then went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child's, and he was healed. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I'll accept I'm not accepting any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. Now, there's a lot going on there. I can account for that. We're going to walk back slowly and piecemeal see why Naaman's story is so important. Naaman's story, I believe, is so important because Naaman is so important. We're told how important Naaman is. Naaman is the commander of one of the greatest nations of the time, the commander of the armies. He is a favored one of the king. He is a mighty warrior. Yet no matter how important he is, how people view him to be, he has a problem. And his problem is one of the most noticeable, one of the most detestable, and one of the most shameful diseases one can have in the day. Leprosy, covering your skin with white blotches, things falling off, that kind of leprosy. So Naaman has this big problem that he can't deal with and he can't fix, no matter how important he believes he is. And then a message comes to him from a little girl. And not just a little girl, but a little slave girl. And not just a little slave girl, but a little slave girl from the country that he's been known famous for raiding and defeating in battle. And she says, I just wish my master would go be healed. She delivers this message to him, and the message is from this little girl, what you're going to have to do is, you're actually going to have to go to the country that you're at war with and ask them to help you with your sickness. 
See these two countries, you have Aram and you have Israel, and they find themselves locking that border quite close together. And you see Damascus in the middle of Aram. He's going to have to come down from Damascus, and he's going to have to come and visit what is known to be, to them, a little country, a weak country that they willingly do whatever they want with. And he's going to have to go to them for help. And so he does what he thinks he should do, and he gets a letter of recommendation from his king, which is basically kind of safe passage. And he goes to the king of Israel, the top dog, and says, I'm a big deal. Heal me of leprosy. And the king doesn't respond in the most hopeful of ways. And the king says, actually, you don't need to see me. You need to go find the little weirdo guy that we don't even like who lives down the way. So he goes and finds a little weirdo guy in the middle of nowhere, and the weirdo guy won't even come out to see him. He sends his assistant, the assistant to the weirdo guy, and he goes out and he says, here's what you need to do. You need to go dip yourself in the dirty river that's a little bit down the way. And even after his temper tantrum, and he does it, and he goes and dips himself, and he finds himself to be cured, he comes back, and he says, okay, thank you for all that, now I want to pay you for your services, here's 3.8 million, and he says, your money's no good here. Now, all of those things, it seems like over-confusing, over-convoluted account of, of what happened. And it's interesting that in all of the narrative of God's interaction with all of mankind, why Naaman's story just kind of slots in there. Doesn't affect anything prior, doesn't affect anything after, but yet it's right there. And I think I know why it's there. It's there to communicate something about our relationship with the Lord that we need desperately to know. Everything that Naaman thinks about his problem, everything that he thinks about the solution, everything he thinks about how it's going to go, doesn't go. Nothing. Like, no thing happens the way that he thinks it's going to happen. Like, over and over and over again, he's shown that he's not in control. And he doesn't get to lay out the path. He doesn't get to define the journey towards healing that he's going to take. He goes instead on this understanding journey of being humble, and overly humbled, like humbled over and over and over again, the most humbling journey I've ever heard of in my entire life. First of all, he's humbled with a detestable and shameful disease that he can't deal with. That's his problem. The messenger, the one who brings the thing that he needs to know, tiny little slave girl in his household, a foreigner that he has been captured and enslaved. The journey he has to take is to a nation that they detest and they're at war with. The offer that is given to him is to go dip himself in a dirty river that is not as good as his. And the results he can't pay for. The results he can't earn. The results he can't be on any sort of level footing with this man who says, this is what you get. What happens to Naaman is he's taken down a peg, or like 10 pegs. As he thinks about how his spiritual journey is going to go, or even just how his physical journey is going to go, he's shown over and over again, that's not how it is. Well, let me tell you how it is. Here's the point that I think Naaman's story drives home and needs to drive home into us. Why we have Naaman's story, why we need to see it, why we need to understand it, because I think this is how God relates to not just Naaman's problem, but actually all of our problems. Every single one of us this morning have a problem. Don't look at them. It's not their fault. But every single one of us have a problem or several problems or lots of problems. It might be family. It might be people. It might be work. It might be physical. It might be mental. We all have problems. And we could look around and say, those people have lots of problems. I could name them by the dozen. There's lots of problems that we think we have. And we place these problems on such a high pedestal that we think 
they are the greatest problem. And we think that that's what we have to do in life. Fix those problems. We get distracted from what is actually a lot more important. The reason I believe that we have Naaman is that Naaman teaches us, it shows us something that hopefully gives us a glimpse. Because throughout Naaman's story, as I read you that story, he did the thing again, and he then got angry and threw a tantrum, and then kind of acted like a bit of a moron. You could point to him and say, moron. Like, it's obviously not going to go that way. Stop throwing a tantrum about not getting it to go your way. I believe that every single problem we have has the potential to drive us down the same journey as Naaman. And that we can throw our temper tantrums. It's not going the way I want it to go. Physically, it's not going. Relationally, it's not going. Spiritually, it's not going. And what we can start upon, if we see the reason for these journeys, is we can start upon the most important thing we'll ever encounter in our lives. That we're actually shown by a lot of our problems, our difficulties, our strife, and our trial, what the biggest problem actually is, what the most important problem we'll ever face is. We can actually see that there was a message delivered to us about this most important problem, a very humbly given, driven message about steps that we would take, a journey we would have to go on to receive an offer to deal with the most important problem. I think we have a lot more in common with Naaman than maybe we would like to admit or maybe have ever fully understood. I'm going to go on a limb here, and this exercise could fall flat on its face, and that's completely up to you. If you want to make me feel bad, go ahead. Otherwise, if I say something that relates to you in any way, shape, or form with your life, your spiritual journey, I want you just to throw your hand up in the air real briefly, and then you can, you can throw it down again. You can throw both hands in the air. So go, wow. It's up to you. Like Naaman, have you ever come to realize that there is a problem in your life, or a problem in you specifically that you cannot fix. It's a good start. Have you one, two, three, four. Have, have you ever had one of those problems, be it spiritual, physical, relational, have you had one of those problems that you have tried to fix so much for it only to blow up in your face? Yeah. These two things in common with name. Have you ever This is an important one. Have you ever been horribly underwhelmed by God's responses to your problems? And if you do have any sort of relationship with God, have you ever found that you've ever tried to pay for it? Ever tried to earn it? Ever tried to be churchy enough, good enough, serve enough for it? See, there's a lot of things in Naaman's journey, that we could obviously point and say, Naaman is not getting it. I think the difficulty that we face today is understanding that sometimes it's difficult for us to get it. To want to get it, to want to understand what the bigger problem is and what God's simple and bigger solution is. I believe like Naaman, we do have a bigger problem. I do, I do believe that like Naaman, we can have it pointed out to us that we're actually at war with the one that can help. I do believe that like Naaman, we are offered a solution that sometimes we don't want to take. A solution that seems too simple. A solution that that means I need to be humbled. And I believe like Naaman, each and every one of us can have an arrogance problem. A 
pride problem when it comes to how we relate to our God, how we find healing, how we find purpose, and how we find relationship. I believe that like Naaman, we can very easily reject the offer that's given to us. I believe also that we can just begrudgingly accept it, that we can dutifully or religiously just tolerate what God has to say. I believe that all of Naaman's story is so that we can see in ourselves what gets in the way of a relationship between us and God. I believe that all of his story is so we can see God separate Naaman from pride again and again and again and again. So we would know that we need to be separated from our pride again and again and again and again. Where it leads Naaman is to the response that I believe God desires to see. The only thing he cares about is that we would know the truth. See, Naaman's response starts in verse 15. After he's healed, he says, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other God except the Lord. Go in peace, Elisha said. So Naaman started home again. What Naaman didn't know was that his leprosy was being used. That his war with Israel was being used. That a little slave girl was being used. That his desire for the king to fix him was being used. That the assistant to the prophets was going to be used. And that the dirty water of the Jordan River was going to be used to show him what was most important. That he's got nothing to offer when it comes to a relationship with God. He's got no standing. He's got no rights. He's got no ability to say, I've earned it. All of it was going to have to be in ways that he didn't want. All of it was going to have to be in ways that showed it was only what God wanted. I think this is probably one of the most simple, but one of the most denied and one of the most overlooked things about your relationship to God is that God has already laid out the way for it to go and asked us to simply follow the way that it's going to go. That we can have relationship in what I would say is most accessible. I would say for us, undeservedly easy to start relationship. Instead, we back ourselves into the corner of, nah, I'm going to do it my way. I believe that every problem you have Every problem that every person has, we can see as a potential to rob us of pride, to rob us of arrogance, to rob us of the self-reliance and self-centeredness that we have that says, I am going to establish a relationship with God. I'm going to make the way. It doesn't happen, and it can't, and it never will, because God has already made the way. The rest of our time, all I want to do is tell you about the way that he's made have you ever heard about Jesus? Most of you have. If not all people have heard the name of Jesus. Maybe sometimes that's the problem that we have. Is we've all heard the name banded around a bit too often, a bit too long, without understanding why Jesus. Jesus was the way God made to address the biggest problem you will ever have. The problem that you have of an arrogance and of a pride that I'm going to do life my way. I know better than what God would say, and therefore I'm going to do this the way that I want. He sent Jesus. The first reason he sent Jesus was so Jesus could live, and you could look at his life and see, 
are not that good. To even highlight the fact that we've got things that we do wrong, things that walk in the face of good and loving things. That we all sin, that there's an issue, that there's a problem. The second reason that we see Jesus is so Jesus could actually do something we don't have to do. He could pay a penalty for all the wrong and evil things you've ever thought, done, and said. Everything that takes you away from God, things we call sin, make you die. They have to make you die because they're a rejection of the one who keeps you alive. But through Jesus, he decided he was going to pay that penalty of death so we didn't have to. So he was maltreated, he was abused, and he was murdered on a jumped-up charge of treason and blasphemy. And then three days after he was dead, he was not dead. He was raised from the dead. He walked out of a tomb. He visited with his friends. He told people what was going to happen next. And all of that was to show that every single one who would believe and follow could guarantee that same promise of this life not being all the life there is. All of its imperfection, all its pain, and all it hurt were not the point. The point was to move to something else. Jesus became hope personified. In a person we could see, in a person we could read about, in a person we could talk about, in a person who said stuff, did stuff, died for stuff, and was raised for stuff. Because God looks about all of the world and he sees spiritual leprosy. Something that is wrong, a problem that we can't fix. And he says, I've got the fix. I've got the thing that will make you right. And all I challenge you to do and all I ask you to do and all I offer you to do is to believe. Romans 10 is one of my favorite chunks of the entire Bible. Because if you ever want to understand what God has been trying to do through Jesus, you need to read Romans chapter 10. It was a letter written so people could understand the difference between doing it your way and his way. Paul the author says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself, refusing to accept God's way. They cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who's going to go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. Don't say who's going to go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message of our faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Whether you wanted to hear that or not, that's the reason you came this morning. Whether you thought all of your problems needed a different fix, this is the reason you came this morning. The most important thing you could ever know is... We will try to make ourselves right with God in any way we damn well please, or we will just flat out reject. All the while, God has said, here's the plan. Here's the way. Here's the way that I've showed you your worth and your value and your identity. Here's how I show you how I love you. 
It's Jesus. The best thing you can know is Jesus. The best information you can know is Jesus. Everything you need to know is Jesus. And so he says, believe. And every question you've ever had, every thought you've ever had, all come back to this, comes back to this. What's your belief in Jesus? What is your belief about God's making your way his way, making you right with him? Because there's only two ways to respond. One way is to throw up your hands and stalk away in a rage and say, I expected God to come and meet me at the door. I expected him to have a bit more pomp and circumstance when I chose to come in relationship with him. I expected that he would wave his hand and everything would be made right for me. I expected that when I came to it, we'd be able to do this more on an equal footing. I'd be able to pay him for our connection. All we get to willingly submit, humbly respond, and see the fact that God has already come to the door to greet you. He's already shown his hand and his power and his might and his delight in you. He's already waved his hand and done and paid for everything that has separated you from him, the bigger problem. And all he calls us to do is to believe. In a moment here, I want to lead you in a prayer of belief. And you can sit there and ignore, you can sit there and, and agree silently, you can sit there and repeat, it's completely up to you. But I, I want us to take the time this morning to decide what we believe in. Because this is the most important question of your entire life. I'm going to invite the music team to come on up. And just as they get themselves ready, I'm going to give you some time just to sit and to think about what you believe in. And if you want to put your belief in Jesus Christ. Once we're done, the music team will lead us in a song of response, a song of worship. And our prayer team will be down front. Our prayer team is here to pray with you and for you after anything going on through your life, in your life. And if especially if there's something today about your spiritual journey or your faith in Jesus you want to talk about and pray about, these people would love to do that with you. If there's anything going on in your spiritual journey that we as a church family could help you with, grab a connection card, fill it in, drop it in, and we would love to get in touch with you. I'm going to lead us in a prayer now, and if you want to pray with me, go ahead. Father God, we thank you. God, we thank you that we get to thank you. God, help us with our arrogance that we know better than you. Help us with our self-reliance. Help us with our pride. God, please forgive us our sins. We ask you for forgiveness in Jesus' name. And help us for all our doubts to rest all of our belief in Jesus. And to not seek to add or to take away. To not seek to earn it. To not to seek to turn your way into our way. God, just as a whole church family and just as individuals, help us to believe. And help us to love you in turn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.